0: Welcome back to the Legend of Zelda Lorecast. I'm your host, Aaron. And today, I have two incredibly wonderful, awesome people joining me. I have patrons. I have Kex. Hello. And I have Deadeye. Hello. So, you know what that means. It's another theory episode. Beep, beep, beep. <laughs> <laughs> I love the theory Very episodes. Nice. Don't, don't blame me. I love the theory episodes. So <laughs> um, I took all my time researching something for the mid break today. So I do not actually have a theory, but that's OK, oh, because I know God. I know I'm terrible. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know Kex has quite a few and I'm sure Dead Eye has quite a few. So I think we should turn the table over to you two. Who wants to go first on their theory?
1: Why don't you let Kex go ahead?
0: (laughs) (laughs) The Um, lure master Kex.
2: (laughs) I will do my best to live up to your expectations. (laughs) (laughs) I do have a very, uh, I suppose you could say controversial one this time. Mm. I think... It is a little bit of a leap but at the same time there is a surprising amount of evidence supporting it so I am excited to discuss it with you two.
0: Okay. Keeping
2: keeping with the Ocarina of Time theme um, I wish to discuss how it may be that the Fallen timeline can in fact coexist with the other two. Okay.
0: Okay. Yes, (laughs)
2: Yes, <laughs> it, is, it is going to be an interesting ride. Now, as I understand most popular internet opinion, most are of the opinion that the Fallen timeline is an alternate timeline in the literal sense. Either mm-hmm. the Fallen timeline happens, or the other two timelines happen. They cannot all three happen because as popular theory dictates link cannot die and survive at the same time. Mhm. Now, I think the reason why this um, this is thought so is because we do not see or at least we do not we do not think we see the moments that the split between the fallen timeline and the other two timelines occur. Okay. However, in Breath of the Wild, as we have previously discussed, there are a great deal of things in Breath of the Wild that come from the Fallen timeline, the most obvious and infamous being Lynels. Lynels are only in the Fallen timeline, not in any other game, even in the pre-split timeline. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, I do not wish to go into all the different Fallen Timeline aspects of Breath of the Wild, so I'm going to skip that and discuss how, in fact, all three did occur and are simultaneously occurring. I think what may have happened, and this is my personal favorite theory, is that Link, when he pulls the Master Sword, A second split occurs at that moment that he pulls the Master Sword. In one timeline, the rest of Ocarina of Time plays out as we know it, with Link traveling back and forth between child and adult, and eventually slaying Ganon and sealing him away alongside Zelda. The second timeline the one that will result in the Fallen timeline. I personally believe follows Link without his spirit being sealed in the Sacred Realm. I think he continues forth as a child wielding the Master Sword. Okay. Now, (laughs) are there... Any questions about that before I go into the evidence? Because I, I
1: understand that is a little bit of a leap. <laughs> well, i, I the first big question that really comes to my mind is, is, isn't wasn't he sealed away because he literally could not wield the sword as a child?
2: It was said he was too young to be the hero of time, yes. And I'm glad you bring that up, because that is what is going to get me into my first few points. I feel set up. (laughs) (laughs) I I swear it was not intentional. You just... You you unknowingly helped me along. (laughs) No. So, as it is commonly thought, the Hero of Time, as a child, I've heard two popular ages for him. He is either 10 years old or 12 years old. I've also heard some people say 9, but... Regardless they are all relatively in the same age range. Now, I find this very interesting because there are so so many very young heroes in the legend of T- uh, the legend of time, <laughs> the legend of Zelda series the first one i wish to draw attention to is actually the original hero of hyrule from the very first legend of zelda that link is able to slay armies upon armies of monsters so many boss monsters and ganon himself and he also was only 10 years old now granted he did not wield the master sword but he accomplished phenomenal feats of strength at, again, only 10 years old. The same age, more than likely, that the Hero of Time was originally. Even more interestingly is the case of the Hero of Winds. When the um, when the Wind Waker begins, it is explicitly stated that the boys coming of age... In Outset Island, they come of age when they reach the same age that the Hero of Time was when his journey began. And yet he was also selected by the Master Sword, and he was not moved forward in time either. Now and I do not wish to go off on too big of a tangent here, but it could be argued that the Master Sword had lost its power in that game, and that is why it did not freeze Link in time. Well, travel him forward in time, I mean to say. hmm That, I think, is a misconception. The Master Sword has lost the power to repel evil, yes. But it has clearly not lost its ability to manipulate time, because when we first arrive in Hyrule Castle in the Wind Waker, everything there is frozen in time. The Master Sword has effectively cast a spell on Ganon's army that placed them all, you could almost say in stasis, like the Sheikah Blade and Breath of the Wild. So the Master Sword, even though it lacks the ability to repel evil, it still very much possesses its time manipulation powers, and therefore it must be asked, why did the Master Sword age the Hero of Time forward, and not the Hero of Winds?
0: So, so, I'm going to stop you here, okay? Okay. Uh, because I've been doing some homework. I guess we're going to announce it now. Uh, (laughs) I'm glad you're talking about time stuff, because in the next episode, uh, we're going to have a special guest come, and we're going to talk about a lot of time manipulation in Legend of Zelda. But because of this, I've been doing some of my own homework. All right. So um, the ages, you said it earlier, the ages of varying lengths isn't really well known however through a word of the developers the Hyrule Historia and some of like the more official people that have worked on the Zelda series have actually come forward with a consensus of the ages and I actually have a chart of those ages if you'd like to hear some of them
2: I would love to hear some of them, and also (laughs) I would love for you to forward that to me so I can keep it.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Okay, so we're talking about, well, first off, we brought up the Ocarina of Time uh, ages, okay? Yes. So the consensus is Link's age is nine before grabbing the Master Sword, and his age is actually 16 when he's considered adult,
2: Interesting. That was one of the less popular options I saw online. All yes.
0: Righty. Yes. A lot of people like to argue that he is not 16 for the mere fact that there, there's a lot of things that go against it. I won't go into it for the sake of not tearing, you know, not tearing into it. Um, <laughs> but the thing with, um, the thing we have to remember is that this is a game based out of japan much like most of our video games are and in japanese culture children that turn the age of 16 are not considered adults but they are considered you know at that point adolescent they're they're you know they are entering the world of adulthood so if we're taking that into consideration and we're taking into consideration that a lot of the programmers and designers and even the high real historia has all you know come out and said that this is kind of consensus, um, not so much the historia, but, you know, more of the developers and creators, then at that point, we can weigh into the fact that, you know, 16 seems to be the general age. So that doesn't that, that doesn't really discredit anything you've said. Um, No, but it is
2: very interesting. And I I, I read that chart (laughs) very badly.
0: (laughs) So another thing is uh, in Wind Waker, um, the ages are anywhere from 9 to 16 because we consider Wind Waker the adult timeline. Yes. Okay. So that being said, wielding the Master Sword once again, we have to follow the rules of the Master Sword, which have clearly been established in Ocarina of Time, which is you're not old enough. The general consensus that all the developers came to was that Link is anywhere from 9 to 16. Whatever makes the fans happy, essentially, in that one. So, <laughs> so if, if we're keeping consistency here, I would say I would argue 16 or around 16 in the teens somewhere. That's um, a very small 16 year old Aaron. Yeah, I know. Uh, that is actually, um, once we get to Wind Waker, I'll talk about it more, but that is actually one of the things, uh, the developers had to argue about for a while during the development of Wind Waker was because of the new cartoonish art style. Um, they felt like the cartoonish art style would not portray Link's ac- age accurately. Um, that same thing. Same thing with a lot of the other characters, uh, like Tetra. Uh, Tetra is actually ten to sixteen. The developers have come forward and said she's anywhere from ten to sixteen. Um, not really portrayed that way, is she? Not particularly, Dal. No. But again, it's because of the art style. They're not they weren't able to render aging without actually adding, you know, like beards or white hair or, you know, all the stuff that would in our minds would immediately associate with, you know, aging. Um, Interesting. So. The next thing you mentioned, I believe, was Twilight Princess, correct?
2: Um, no, it was actually the original uh, he- ah, Hero of Hyrule.
0: That's right. Um, that was in. Uh, you're Legend talking. Zona. You're talking about Fallen Timeline now. Um, yes, the
2: very first game that was ever
0: released. The funny thing with that one is, the developers came forward and said, "We don't know. The age is undetermined."
2: That is bizarre to me, <laughs> and uh, allow me to say why. Okay. The instruction manuals. (laughs) We are going to get so off topic. Oh, no.
0: No, that's okay.
2: The instruction manual for Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link, which stars the same Link, the hero of Hyrule. Yep. States that this game takes place six years after The Legend of Zelda. Mm Mm-hmm. And it also states that the mark appears on his hand which prompts him to go on a second adventure on his 16th birthday. Yes. So 16 minus six gives me 10 years (laughs) of age.
0: So I will argue with you that it is 10. I would say the original, the original one that opened up this whole basket of different links um, is 10. And it is because of the manual, because they have flat out said in this very same chart that in the adventure of Link, he is 16 yeah um so by that logic you would automatically go to well then the legend of zelda link is 10. however because of the convoluted you know canons and this has been made canon but this isn't and you know back and forths because of the newer games um that's why it's labeled undetermined but if we're going by what is in the books and what we know then the age would be 10.
2: All right, and I will say this: I led with my weakest piece of evidence first. <laughs> That's we, okay. That's okay. The, right? I do not. I do not want to spend too much more of your time talking about the ages. However, um, again, please do send me the chart because I am there. Oh, thank you. <laughs> because I am very, very interested in this. I just know that we are on a limited amount of time now.
0: Oh, you're fine. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um. So now uh, moving along then to a little bit uh, more convincing pieces of evidence. It is stated in uh, the Hyrule Encyclopedia that the Hero of Legend, which that is to say the hero in the uh, Legend of Zelda Link to the Past, Mm -hmm. is very likely to be a blood descendant of the Hero of Time. Now, you could, of course, make the argument that Link, as an adult, mm, they skipped over the moment that would create that bloodline to try and keep this PG. (laughs) They (laughs) skipped over that moment in the game. However, the encyclopedia then goes on to state that it is likely that the Hero of Time was a Knight of Hyrule. This simply never happened. In Ocarina of Time, once the Hero of Time emerges from Thesis, if you will, Ganondorf has already taken over. There are no Knights of Hyrule, There is no royal family, really. There's no Knights of Hyrule to join. This could have only happened if events played out in a very different way than what we saw in Ocarina of Time, such as Link not being aged up in uh, in the Fallen timeline. Mm -hmm. Aged forward, if you will. That would allow him time to possibly stave off Ganon's initial invasion. Yes, I know he is a child, but he also flew King Dodongo as a child with what is essentially a dagger. Yes. Um, <laughs> King Dodongo could have probably wiped out, oh goodness, probably dozens if not hundreds of soldiers with a single blast of fire breath. So Mm -hmm. as a child, I would argue that the Hero of Time could very much turn the tide of battle and turn what was an instant coup in Ocarina of Time into a prolonged several year battle between Ganondorf with the Triforce of Power and the forces of Hyrule. I do think even as a child, he would have single handedly had that that sort of skill seeing as what we see him do in ocarina of time as a child
0: so i'm gonna i'm gonna stop you again i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) so i'm gonna sum up everything that you're getting at here we're gonna we're gonna come back because we took a very long break on the ages um so basically see if i understand (laughs) what you're getting at here what you're getting at is that the timelines are simultaneous in existence correct
2: yes just like the child and adult timeline
0: okay i actually have something to propose to you in this because this is something i've actually been looking at during our time shenanigans do you think it's possible all right that when link draws the sword at 10 and is sealed away and then he ages. He's got the earring. He's got, you know, he's got this longer hair. He's buffer. He all of a sudden knows these incredible sword skills. Do you think it is possible that during that seal being sealed away? Much like you said before, when he draws the sword, that is when the timeline splits. However, do you think it's possible that the link that we receive and play as in the game is none other than than the very same version you're talking about right now. Because it's never truly explained why all of a sudden we have this piercing, we have this buff body, we're incredibly great swordsmen. It's never explained. But my theory is that it is the exact same link that you're talking about right now transferred into current timeframes. This is where the timelines will re-meet back up.
2: I, I honestly have never thought about it like that before. I suppose it is possible, but I have a lot more questions. now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, the reason I reason I bring this up is because if we're going with your theory here, which seems the most plausible is that once the sword is pulled, that is actually when the timeline split it can also be argued that the timelines meet back up when the sword, when the sealing away is completed. Which would give us our our new link. Which would also explain why he's advanced so much while being sealed away. The the true split, however, that would lead us to these timelines definitively is either the success death or not returning of link that will re-split the timelines back is my thought process here.
2: I mean, I think it is certainly possible. You, you have to bear in mind that most of my theories, I do not believe I'm not so arrogant that I believe in each one of my theories a hundred percent. Well, of course not. As possibilities. (laughs) So, yes, I think I am beginning to understand what you are driving at a little bit more. Mm -hmm. I will ask, because I'm sure we are coming up on the mid-break soon, I will ask that you hold that thought for just a moment longer Mm -hmm. until I give my final piece of evidence. And then I, I wish to revisit this topic.
0: Absolutely. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I wanted to get that out there to propose that to you while you uh, complete the last part of your theory. <laughs>
1: of course. And, and Dead Eye, you have been rather quiet. What What
0: do you think so far?
1: I I, mean, I find this very interesting. I'm just still confused on how this is going to allow them all to exist, all the timelines to exist at the same time. Like, Because like I mentioned, we talked a little bit before. We started actually recording about it and i'm just confused on how i've always been a little confused on how a timeline where he died and a timeline where everything went well in fact two where he didn't all exist at the same time because i don't i don't understand that i don't know something about that just doesn't work right with me but i guess it's just how zelda decided to do time manipulation yes so
2: i think i can answer that a little bit more readily before we move on to the final piece of evidence Essentially, looking at my original theory, um, in one timeline, the fallen timeline where he does not age forward, eventually he would simply pass away. But his passing, well, pass away, meaning he was killed by something. More than likely Ganondorf. But this passing does not affect the other two timelines because the timelines have already split at this point. They split at the moment that the Master Sword was pulled. So now, if Link dies in one timeline, it will no longer affect the other timeline. And it is the other unaffected timeline that will go on, have a second split, and create the child and adult timelines.
1: Does that make sense? That makes a little more sense now in my head, yes.
2: Yes, so essentially I'm arguing that in Ocarina of Time, there is not one time split, but two that occur.
1: That's what my brain was missing then, was that there is now going to be two. That, I think, because yes. now it makes a lot more sense. Excellent.
2: All right. Then my final piece of evidence is this. Common theory dictates that Ganondorf was the one that killed Link Um, in their final battle at Ganon's Tower. After Link has cleansed all the temples, something happens differently than what we see in Ocarina of Time, and Link somehow dies in combat with Ganon. This is why most people then think that the two the three timelines cannot coexist because then what would have rewound time to bring link back back to life however there is a major flaw in this line of thinking we see later on in the fallen timeline in the oracle game specifically that the Twin Rova Witches are actually still alive. Which means, in the Fallen Timeline, the hero of time never made it to the Spirit Temple. He never slew the Twin Rova Witches, and they were able to continue living in the Fallen Timeline. So, the common theory then that just the final battle went differently than we expected, cannot be true, because then the twin robo would not be able to come back in the fallen timeline in the Oracle game. Now some would argue that perhaps Ganondorf resurrected them. I would counter argue that at that point, this is a very slippery slope. What is stopping Ganondorf from resurrecting all of his fallen comrades, Gama from the Deku Tree, King Dodongo? He could just simply resurrect all of them as soon as they were slain. But more importantly too, we do not see Ganondorf truly bring something back to life until Breath of the Wild in age of, uh, I'm sorry, um, when the blood moon comes. That is the only instance when we see him resurrect monsters. It is sort of hinted that, and I'm going to mispronounce this, Volvagia, Volvagia, how do I say that? Help me. (laughs)
0: Volvagia.
2: Volvagia,
1: Mm -hmm. I think how I've heard it.
2: Thank you. It, it, it can be interpreted in some ways that Volvagia was resurrected. However, the terminology gets a little bit muddled the closer you look. Sometimes it makes it sound like Anandorf truly did bring it back from the dead. But there are other instances, even in the original Japanese version, that make it more sound like he simply revived Vol- Volvagia as if from... A coma that the Goron hero put it in. Something like that. In any case, I digress. Even if we assume he did resurrect Volvagia, the fact of the matter is that would be the only instance he has ever resurrected anything since Breath of the Wild. He does not do this often. So the fact that the the twin roba witches are still alive and well in the fallen timeline is very suspicious to me. I therefore propose that in the fallen timeline, once again, things played out very, very differently. And then than, than what common theory dictates. And that Something happened that Link never made it to the Spirit Temple, or going to the Spirit Temple was not necessary. Perhaps because Link was not placed in stasis and was able to continue fighting immediately, he was able to prevent the immediate corruption of the temples. Something like that. There are a great deal of possibilities that could explain this, and it would take Several, several sunlit days to go through all of them. <laughs> but the point is, is this is a big flaw in the idea that the fallen timeline, 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 simply starts that when Link falls in battle to Ganondorf and everything else in Ocarina of Time happened as we see it. I highly doubt that is the case. There is one more small little piece of evidence, but it is very much connected to this. There is a boss in in The Legend of Zelda 2: Adventure of Link, at the very end of the Fallen timeline that is a serpentine dragon called Barbos, or Barbas, one of those two. An alternate name for this dragon is Volvagia, Placing that again in the same sort of unsure reasoning as to why it is there that the Twin Rova witches are there. Volvagia may have survived as well in the Fallen timeline, implying again that the Hero of Time may have never even reached the Fire Temple, or that going to the Fire Temple was not necessary in the Fallen timeline. Okay, And I think that is all my major points. Okay. There are several smaller points, but I do not think they warrant discussion at this point in time. It would take too much time, and they are too minor.
0: So, here we go. You ready for this? Yes. (laughs) So... I am not saying I don't believe in your theory at all. In fact, I love this theory and uh, (laughs) I'm I'm actually investing a whole lot of into it right now. Uh, Uh, But I do want to make some points if you're ready. Absolutely. So, number one, and I want to make sure I got your theory correct. Basically, in a nutshell, you're saying that the point in which the timeline splits is actually the drawing of the sword. In one timeline, Link carries over and continues his escapades from 10 years old up, and then eventually falls in battle.
2: Yes, or at the very least, however however old he is, uh, according to the charts. I believe he said nine years old. Yeah. I think it is very possible, again, given that the encyclopedia states that the Hero of Time was likely to be a knight of Hyrule... I think it is very likely that he actually survived for a great deal of time after the pulling of the Master Sword until he did eventually fall.
0: Yeah, yeah. So the next thing is, so we've got that. That's basically the whole theory is that the timeline splits at the actual draw of the sword. Now, I do agree with this. However, I want to say something else. Absolutely. the rest of our timeline, we know definitively, the rest of our timeline does not actually split until the final battle with Ganondorf. So it does not split until after the final battle with Ganondorf. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So this this is what I found interesting in my timeline research. When okay. talking when originally uh the timelines were brought up to the creators the timelines were actually split in only two different timelines. Okay. The original timeline was the child and the adult timelines. The other timeline was not considered a split. So what you're saying actually makes sense because the creators brought up the point of the fact that essentially the original timeline is the fall of a uh, fall of Link. Now we know for certain that Link falls in battle with Ganondorf. That is that is made very aware in the Hyrule Historia. Yes. Now you've brought up a point to say the Twin Rova witches uh, and the resurrection with uh, Volvagia is. Is it's very loose terminology here,
2: it, it, it is very conflicting again. It is possible that he could have revived it from the dead, it's yeah. possible, but it, it the terminology just seems to contradict itself sometimes. And I did actually have a friend of mine look up the original Japanese for it, and even in the original Japanese, it seems to imply both at the same time, awakening from a coma and reviving from the
0: dead. So I'm here to clarify. <laughs> I would love so, that. So <laughs> Volvagia was in fact resurrected. However, oh. Volvagia was resurrected from a state of coma. So if allowed to stay in this slumber, Volvagia would have died and stayed dead. However, oh. Volvagia was resurrected from this kind of state, if you will. Now... I
2: think I understand. So it is not, it was not dead, but it was dying.
0: Yes, because, okay, so... Interesting. And we, this is actually, this whole research has actually led me to want to do a dragon-specific episode for Legend of Zelda, because the dragons follow their own rule of magic here. Um, we see this in True. Skyward Sword where we have to bring a dragon back from the dead um by using time manipulation magic
2: now that you bring that up his even though he did look visibly dead you could still talk to the skeleton and his yes. eye and its eyes still did light up
0: yes So with the dragons there and we're going to get into this more. I've only done very little research, so don't hold me to this. But with the dragons, they follow their own kind of rules of life and death. And they can't really do much when they're dead in bones. But if given the power and authority, they can come back. So almost like
2: Skyrim dragons. Yes.
0: Yes. So that being said, in fact, actually Skyrim dragons got a lot of influence from none other than Legend of Zelda dragons. Uh, <laughs> so, the other thing is, is that keep in mind, at this point in our timeline, Ganon has the full Triforce. The Triforce allows you to make a wish. But in addition to that, the Triforce gives you all omnipotent power. So, we could argue that he utilizes the Triforce to bring back Twinrova, Rova and then continues down the descent of the timeline where he makes his wish.
2: That is one thing that I cannot account for. We do not ever see the Triforce to use to resurrect someone within Ganon's hand. It is unclear really how many... I do not know if it is that you get a single wish and then it just grants you extreme power or if you get multiple wishes. I think if you only get one wish, it still stands. hmm uh-huh. My theory still stands, that is. However, you do raise a good point because we do know for a fact that the Triforce can resurrect people from the dead, because when the hero of legends then reclaims the Triforce from Ganon, he makes his single wish on it. And the Triforce then proceeds to resurrect the King of Hyrule, his uncle, the loyal sage, and probably more that I am forgetting at the moment. So you are absolutely correct. It does have the power to resurrect people. Yes. I just do not know if Ganon would have been able to since his wish was canonically that he wanted to rule the world. Does that make sense?
0: Yes, however, uh, he also we are b- b- the Oracle Ages and Seasons happen happens sometime down this timeline, and yes. we also have to remember that he gains access to several other ancient artifacts as well,
2: the Trident,
0: yes, mainly. which gives him omnipotent power. So I cannot wait until you <laughs> talk about the Trident. <laughs> so there are a lot of a lot of things that would excuse the resurrection of our twin Rovas on this timeline. So. Again, not disproving you by any means, just clarifying some points in the timeline.
2: Indeed. And yes, there are a lot of different possibilities. Again, I am not trying to preach this theory as gospel truth. Oh, no. It is just an idea. <laughs> yeah. And while it is more than possible that the the Triforce or even possibly the Trident, for all we know, could resurrect the Twin Rova. The fact is that we never see it happen, so we we do not know for certain that that is what happened. Mm-hmm. And again, especially when you throw into the, into the fray that we are not sure how many wishes you exactly get with the Triforce. Is it unlimited? I'm tempted to think it is not unlimited, otherwise Ganon could have simply wished Link dead.
0: Well, what I will say is, the wishes seem to follow a consistent rule of one. Everybody gets I one. I think so too. So, so we can wrap this portion up. What yeah. I'm getting at in a <laughs> nutshell is that, though I know what you're getting at, is that the pulling of the sword results in three timeline splits. Essentially, well, two timeline splits. Two timeline time splits create the three timelines. Yes. yes. So. Okay, even better. <laughs> so I will say, it seems to be that your theory is more than just a theory. It seems to be what the actuality is, because, like I said before, when Ocarina of Time was the only, only game in this time and the in the you know production at the, at that moment, and it was all the talk of the town, the original timeline was when they discussed it was that it was split into two not three but two so drawing of the sword was going to happen either way and that is probably where we get our hero of time in in his also omnipotent glory when he comes back out of his stasis it is actually from the fallen timeline into this new split so The argument can be made here and a lot of people are confused because they're like, well, how can all of these exist at once? The proposition of a multiverse theory is that one point in a timeline can result in multiple splits. But at any point in time, those timelines can merge into one. So if we're following an actual multiverse theory here, that's probably what happened. Is that these three timelines did in fact split but something in the fallen timeline caused a another split and a vergence point with our current hero that we play as in awkward time but again we'll never know because there's not enough time in the world and there's not any more games that can explain any other versions of a multiverse not currently, at least. Not currently. So, Nintendo. Please. <laughs> <laughs> so, with that being said, I think it's time for us to go to our long awaited mid break for some juicy, juicy news. Well, here we are in the middle of the show. And Ariel usually says it's off of in here. Oh, I miss Ariel. <laughs> <laughs> we all do. <laughs> uh, very much. But uh, we have to thank some wonderful, oh, so amazing patrons right here. She's not here to remind me of this, so I've got to remember it on my own. <laughs> <laughs> so first off, thank you, Kex. You're our uh, Golden Goddess level patron. You're very welcome. <laughs> uh, the next one is our Hyrule royalty patron, Paul Butt. The next one on our list is uh, the starts of our Sheikah patrons. Deadeye! Thank you, Deadeye! Yup. Our next Sheikah patron is relic 2 Redman, and our Kokiri patron Remington Cloutier. So, uh, because we have some really, really, really big news, I usually go on this huge tyrant about how it's awesome that everyone leaves these awesome reviews and our patrons and... I'm just gonna wrap it all up into one nice, lovely little you guys are awesome. thank you so much. I really Can appreciate I just
1: it. I that everybody <laughs> that contributes definitely you all high rule
0: <laughs> <laughs> dang it. <laughs> dang it. <laughs> i can't I, believe i truly that love that it's not been made yet It uh, seems so obvious now uh, <laughs> see i was i was trying to stay away from that i was trying to be a good boy because ariel gives me a hard time for my dad jokes are you sure you
2: didn't just think <laughs> of it
0: uh, uh too late don't take this yeah i did <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh oh, but i see blame ariel now that she's not here
0: sh- don't tell her she's gonna edit this <laughs> Uh, but on that note, I do want to read off a couple of our five star reviews and then we'll get into some nitty gritty news we've got coming. So the first off, I love this one. We talked about this before the uh, before the recording. Um, we have a five star review it's titled Great. And it comes to us from Jixus. And I cannot pronounce that last one. <laughs> uh we're just gonna call it jx um and the review says oh i love that review i'm not gonna lie this is pretty awesome <laughs> uh our next review comes to us from mr potato 22 and it says best loz podcast ever i listen to this podcast all the time it does a great job explaining the lore and the characters It's nice to listen to someone that knows all the nerdy lore about LOZ. Keep up the amazing episodes. Maybe a few episodes theorizing possibilities for BO2, Breath of the Wild 2, or Easter eggs from other games that tie into others. P.S. Have Ariel talk a little bit more. (laughs) Uh, Ariel, you hear this? When you're doing the editing, I'm going to need you to talk a little bit more. Uh, next one, comes to us from Jasper, the pro best podcast I've ever listened to ever. This podcast is extremely informative and I have learned so much interesting and crazy stuff. I'm looking forward to Majora's mask, Twilight princess and breath of the wild. I also really want an episode that is mainly about crazy facts and strange things about LOZ. Keep it up. PS. Here's my interpretation of dark beast. Ganon. Your baby brother who just won't stop screaming. (laughs) Love it. Love it. Uh, And our final uh, review comes to us from Zelda Pro 67. I don't know if we've read this one before, but I'm going to read it anyway. Wonderful podcast. I have been a big fan of the Legend of Zelda franchise this podcast is highly intelligent in the franchise and has taught me so much about the games. Everyone on the show is very funny and easily likable. I would give this podcast six stars, but my computer doesn't let me. Again, this is an amazing podcast. Keep up the good work. Thank you. This comes to us again from Zelda Pro 67. <laughs> Uh, so uh, we've got tons more reviews to read uh, but unfortunately because of all the reviews we get now we only have time for a few but don't worry if we haven't read yours um, we will get to it and if we don't please feel free to send us a message our email is in the show notes so send us a message to say hey I'm this person and you haven't got to my review yet and it's been a while just give us some help because there's We now currently have 84 five-star ratings to go through. (laughs) Goodness me. (laughs) So I love it. Keep them coming. Uh, But it does become very confusing at times because of the way it's all set up. But don't worry. We'll find you. (laughs) Uh, But that being said, news time. Are you two ready for this? Because it's pretty big.
1: Oh, it might be too big. I might not be ready.
0: (laughs) So
2: you may have to speak for yourself there. I'm very ready.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Jeff Grubb from the last of the Nintendogs podcast has come out and said that there will be most assuredly a September September Nintendo Direct. I'm too excited. I can't talk right now. The both hosts have Continuously, continuously said that there will be an announcement, not only for Breath of the Wild 2, but an announcement for the Twilight Princess HD remake for the Switch and the Wind Waker HD remake for the Switch. Now, I did watch this uh, clip from their podcast and i will say that they sounded extremely convincing and they were extremely adamant about this and uh jeff grubb even came out and said a couple times that a very reliable source from nintendo has told him this So, Jeff Grubb's been right on the money a couple times before, so we'll see if it's right this time. So stay tuned for that September Nintendo Direct. But that's my news. And it's super exciting. Yeah, I had read the same thing that is super exciting. (laughs) I just got your message on Discord. You just stole it. I just stole your news. (laughs) (laughs) Dun, dun, dun.
2: When you were having your internet problems, he was... Talking about that
0: with me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's too funny. Uh, I'm sorry, Deadeye. I? I stole your thunder. <laughs> <laughs> when I saw I was good. Uh I should have I should have uh gone with the merch idea. Speaking of, Kex, do you have something for us this episode?
2: I did come prepared this time, unlike last month.
0: <laughs> woo woo! I'm so, ready for this.
2: For those who uh, like, of course, Legend of Zelda and also another video game series called Kingdom Hearts. There is a shirt that is on, I believe, Etsy. Unfortunately, it is out of stock at the moment, but they do resupply frequently. It is a simple black t-shirt, but it has Both the Master Sword and I believe it is called the Keyblade crossed over each other. My best friend happens to love Kingdom Hearts, and I have also forced upon him my love of Legend of Zelda. So he got one of these shirts and he absolutely loves it, so... I would highly recommend that it is very affordable um around 23 dollars i think so will not break your bank as some of the other things we have shared do
0: (laughs) (laughs) my bad they're just so cool (laughs) they are very cool (laughs) uh i do want this shirt though when it comes back in i am going to order it for myself because i love both series
1: (laughs) that does look really cool
0: oh my gosh yes I I might have to see if uh, our friends over at First Encounter know about this shirt and see if they want it cause I mean I
2: I am (laughs) going to eventually watch Kingdom Hearts in exchange for my best friend playing all the Legend of Zelda games so before long I will know what this Keyblade is all about
0: oh I'm not sure uh well, talking about Keyblades on a completely different note. <laughs> um do you uh to by chance remember who uh we we're sponsored by?
2: I do not remember the name of
0: the car uh, oh The Ocarina suckers. I, yes. I can't I can't uh oh STL Ocarina. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, I have one of those. No way. <laughs> uh,
0: yes, STL Ocarina uh, is a proud sponsor of this podcast, and we are proud to have them sponsor us for this podcast. And uh, through that sponsorship, they've actually generously given us a promo code that you can get yourself a little discount with uh, if you type in at checkout, LOZ Lore Ten. You can get 10% off your total purchase and i think Denai, did didn't you use the promo code recently actually i had mine long before i even found your podcast <sighs> i know somebody i'm gonna have to dig through and find out who it was it was so long ago they posted it but uh they you they used the promo code and uh they actually got to stack i think they said they got to stack the current discount in store with our 10 percent discount which is even cooler Of STL Ocarina to do. Um, I will say it's a really awesome company. I've I've never been so sure with working with a company for sponsorship. And, you know, a lot of times you hear in podcasts, everybody's like, well, you know, come buy this stuff from so-and-so, because you know, we get money for it, blah, blah, blah. Honestly, I really was hoping they would reach out to us because I really enjoy the quality of their ocarinas and as a collector, not so much a player, which I'm going to have to change here soon. Uh, <laughs> uh, That's as a collector, just for your duel with Ariel. Uh, I know, duel of the wind <laughs> flutes. Um, yeah, I mean, as a collector, I when I unboxed our Ocarina of Time, I was blown away about the craftsmanship and the quality. However, Ariel is extremely musically inclined, and. Uh, she started messing around with it and goes, well, actually, it has a really, really good tone to it. And, you know, we checked out some of the reviews online and was like, oh, my gosh, these things are amazing. And we even got to see uh, some actual other sponsored people check out the STL Arcanism and give some actual honest feedback. They are created with you as the fan of your beloved series in mind in both quality of craftsmanship and quality of instrumental play. That's why I love them. So, long story short, we love STL. (laughs) So, all that being said, I think it's time for us to go to the end of the show. What do you two think?
1: Actually, I have one thing I could throw all quick for merch. Oh, Oh,
0: let's do it. What do you got?
1: It's not, like, completely specific, but if you are into, like, arts and craftsy or you have free time and you like hobbies... Um there are things you can get very often Zelda themed they're called diamond paintings. And you can find them pretty much anywhere online they're usually less than $20 a piece and it's hours of entertainment and you get a really fun picture you can frame afterwards.
0: Ooh I have seen some of these diamond paintings in person and they're so cool.
1: <laughs> yeah they're they're really fun and I think that the designs are really great. So I mean they they don't just match Zelda they can come in many forms but I have a lot of Zelda ones, and
0: they're great. Right? You've shown a couple of them in the Discord. I yep. really, I really yeah, heavily consider getting into it. Absolutely beautiful. Gorgeous. Uh, well, on that note, I think it is time for us to go to the end of the episode. Well, here we are. Regrettably, at the end of the episode, I had so much fun. <laughs> We have one more theory to talk about, though, don't we?
2: Yes. And fortunately, this one will be much shorter than
0: the other one. <laughs> I liked the first one, though. I'm yeah, pretty I sure. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure Deadeye did too. <laughs> I enjoy that theory as well, but admittedly,
2: I, I think that may be my longest, most complicated theory to date. And you two know me, so that is saying something. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That is a very long theory, but I enjoyed it. So anyway, (laughs) what do we got for our next theory, Kix?
2: My second theory is honestly less of a theory and more of a prompt. I very much would be interested to hear what a lot of your fans think about this topic, Mm. because I have my own thoughts on it, but... I am still, at the end of the day, very much undecided about um, about this theory, and there are just so many different possibilities, and I should just get into it rather than beat around the bush. Recently, the Fire Temple has completely obsessed me, and where the Fire Temple came from. from uh, of course, from Ocarina of Time. We are still discussing the Ocarina of Time. Mm-hmm. What intrigues me about it so much is that the architecture of this temple is very unique, not just among the temples, but especially when you look at other Goron architecture, not just even in Ocarina of Time, but all throughout the series. When you look at it all throughout the series, Goron architecture is extremely rough. It is sturdy, Certainly, do not get me wrong, but it is not built to be very aesthetically pleasing, if you will, Um, very rough around the edges. This persists all through every single timeline we see Gorons in, Um, with the most notable being actually in Twilight Princess, we see some of the Gorons' sacred shrines that are contained within the Goron Mines. And they are still, despite the fact that they are sacred areas to the Gorons, still very rough. The Gorons have good knowledge of stone masonry, but they do not know how to make it smooth exactly. Um, in fact, the book Creating a Champion says as much as well about the Breath of the Wild Gorons. They have mastered stone masonry, but their hands are a little bit too big and bulky to really do it with finesse, like we see the past Helians doing. Hylians, my mistake. Mm. I bring this up because the Fire Temple, a lot of it is completely different. The stonework there is very, very smooth, very beautiful even. Um, Clearly built by masters. And this made me think for a long while that perhaps the Fire Temple was not built by the Gorons. Perhaps it was found by the Gorons and repurposed into sacred ground. This would, of course, also explain the various prison cells that we find in there. Perhaps this building was not originally a sacred temple, but in fact a prison. Then I started talking with you, Aaron, in the Discord. hmm <laughs> And you did present a possible alternate solution that, of course, this was built by the Gorons. You did say, you know, since... It was a more sacred area. Perhaps they put more effort in it. Mm-hmm. I did I do draw a slight problem with that just because of what I said about the Goron shrines and Twilight Princess. But what you said nevertheless still got me to take an even deeper look at the Fire Temple. And I did find certain things that do actually point to Goron construction after all.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: The most interesting being, and this, (laughs) I must ask our viewers to possibly look up a picture or really dig deep in their memories here, but do you remember those three tiered blocks that um, are in the fire temple that you must hit to the side with the Megaton hammer to clear the way? Megaton, sorry.
0: Yes, yes.
2: those actually seem to depict dragons and when you look at the middle of them the stomachs if you will from the neck down the pattern along them actually sort of resembles the dragons that we see in skyward sword Mm -hmm. and given the region that we are in i then draw the conclusion that perhaps this is connected to elden since we know eventually that the Gorons did move into Eldon Volcano and make it Death Mountain, perhaps they moved in before Eldon left, and this would, this would in turn give us our Goron connection. There are also other depictions of faces um, throughout the temple that do not appear anything like Goron faces, really. Because we do see Goron faces depicted in Goron City, most notably the Goron vase in the middle in the middle of the town, mm-hmm. and that is very distinctly a Goron face. There's <laughs> no question about it. However, those face uh, sculptures in the Fire Temple are a little bit different. And some of them seem to resemble the facial structure, again, of Elden, right down to even seeming to have his whiskers, the that strange little mustache that he has, if you recall.
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah. I should
2: have had a picture of Elden prepared.
0: I'm oh, so sorry. You are 100% fine. I looked it up <laughs> on my own. I'm looking at it now. <laughs> I'm
1: staring at his whiskers right
0: now.
2: Thank you. There are certain effigies in the Fire Temple that denote sort of the facial structure, such as the lips, and again, those whiskers um, throughout the Fire Temple. So again, I find myself wondering if there isn't a Goron connection after all. We do also see in Skyward Sword, that there is a second mysterious building that we do not know the origin of at all, the Fire Sanctuary. So my two competing thoughts at the moment are, yes, this could be an alternate race that was not the Gorons that constructed these sites, and that perhaps the Fire Sanctuary was their seat of power, because that is where their king lived, as we see in the inscriptions throughout the Fire Sanctuary, and Mm -hmm. that perhaps the Fire Temple was even their jail, as we discussed a moment ago. Yep. Or these places were, in fact, built by Gorons, but Gorons that were much more technologically advanced and much more developed in their stonemasonry and then the Invasion of Demise happened. It is interesting because also again, in creating a champion, it is said that basically all the Helion stone workers were wiped out in the Calamity and that Helions in Breath of the Wild era, literally the hundred years after the Calamity, all they know is woodwork. That is why Fort Hateno has not been repaired yet and has only been reinforced with wooden structures. There's literally no one left alive that remembers the art of stone masonry. I wonder if perhaps something similar may have happened to the Gorons during demises of the invasion, explaining why their stonework is so rough and modern day, but why the Fire Temples is so beautiful and smooth.
0: So... I have thoughts.
2: <laughs> I would love to hear them because the, again, the fire temple is still baffling to me and that is what makes it so intriguing. So I would
1: love to hear both of your thoughts.
0: So, Deadeye, do you have thoughts before I go into mine?
1: I mean, it, really, I don't... I'm still trying to sort it through my head, but it had never occurred to me to think that the Gorons did not build that temple. Like, I, it never even crossed my mind to think that they might have just moved in.
2: To be fair, I did not think of that either until I kept going through the series and realized just how deep the series could get. Um, and then I started revisiting some of the games that I had played earlier and started thinking about these things. So I completely understand where you're coming from.
1: I don't know, the only other thing I really had is if someone else did it that might have been able to manipulate rock and have more nimble hands. I don't remember what they're called, but they were in Skyward Sword and they dug through the ground. The Magma. Yes, I mean, maybe they had a part to play in it. I don't know. I but, am but, not I mean, They know ch- how to manipulate rock and they have more dainty fingers and stuff. So they would be able to do finer, more detailed things.
2: That is a possibility. The only problem that I have that really is not a problem, honestly, but it is just that we do not really have any confirmed structures that are Magma built, to my my knowledge. I do not doubt that they built their own structures, but because we don't know what is confirmed to be theirs, I do not really have a way to compare. But it is most definitely a possibility. They obviously are heat-resistant as well since they live on Elden Volcano. Yeah.
0: Yes, I have
2: even... (laughs) I have even played with the concept that possibly the Sabrosians from uh, Oracle of Seasons played a part in this because they are heat-resistant to the point where they can actually bathe in magma with no ill effects.
0: So all of these thoughts are good but I have a counter thought (laughs)
2: I'm not sure how much of a counter it can be when we are all unsure what to think
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I will say uh, with the magma I'm not 100% dedicated to that only because they spend 99.9% of their life underground Um, I don't know what purpose they would have for a structure because they'll even sleep underground so, and they've already demonstrated that they have no real allegiance to religion because they're not even involved in the fight. They would rather hide than fight. We've seen this demonstrated. They were even captured the in the Now that you mention it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's, it was a good thought, though. I will say that, did I? Because it had me going for a little while, too, when I started thinking about this.
2: And indeed, given the location of the Fire Temple, mm-hmm. there are only a select few races that would be able to build comfortably in that environment. Exactly.
1: And one of the reasons I thought of them, because I knew that they were like the Gorons, heat resistant. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. And the-
2: those the- are really the only three that I can think of that would not need any supplemental equipment to help them build. The Gorons, the Magma, and the Sabrosians.
0: Let me propose a fourth. Yes, ancient robots. Hmm. So, I say this because <clears throat> So, I don't think the ancient robots built the structure at all. Let me go let me go down the rabbit hole with you if I may. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so, Leneru Desert was once a vast green landscape. We know this. Yes. Next but, to an ocean? Yes. But the robots themselves were built for the purpose, the sole purpose of mining time shift stones. We also know this. Some of those environments can become very, very treacherous. So we know they're durable bots. Now, after the whole scenario of Skyward Sword, we also know that Gorons existed simultaneously, and Gorons were looking to further educate themselves, as demonstrated with none other than our adventurer pal, who constantly finds us and asks us questions and tells us where the hidden, nice, crazy things are. And yes, Gorons were seeking knowledge. In that very same game, we find the Gorons in the Linero Desert, looking to to, quote-unquote harness the expertise of crafting stone. This is the first point where we start to see Gorons really trying to craft stone. So, what I propose is not that the ancient robots built the fire temple, but it was in fact the Gorons who built the fire temple with the knowledge and expertise that the robots gave them. Because if you look at the structure and how it's built and compare that to a lot of the structures built at the Lanayru mining facility, you will see those very same designs and smooth edges and statues and same similar designs of things that the Lanayru ancient robots actually built.
2: Interesting.
0: So, like I said...
2: Essentially, they built the they built the fire temple under the tutelage almost of the of the ancient robot.
0: Yes, which goes hand in hand with our Breath of the Wild Gorons being less smooth and less not efficient, but less uh, grace, full of grace. When building stone, you see that it's very almost archaic the way they've built the stone masonry they have. And this could be attested to the fact that, remember, in the very beginning of our lovely Breath of the Wild, we were told that 100 years ago, this very same thing happened. But the with the assistance of the Sheikah and the robots, they were able to fight Calamity off. But that doesn't mean that Calamity didn't wreak havoc, as we know from all the stonemasons of the Hillians being taken out. This very same thing could have happened with the Gorons because the Gorons were probably frontline rebuilding things as they were being destroyed with those stonemason Hillions. So a lot of the people with the knowledge of the original ancient robots could have been lost in that same battle and only a few being left that were under tutelage could have remained because as we see they still work with stone and it's not that it's terrible it's just not It's not as smooth. It's not as pretty. So some of them may have survived still, but they weren't as farly or they weren't as advancedly trained as the rest of the Gorons that had fallen in battle. This is what I propose.
2: Especially when you consider the Fire Temple then would have had to have been built Anywhere from before Skyward Sword to after Skyward Sword, but not after Menish Cap. Which means that, goodness me, there are so many different opportunities for the advanced Goron stonemasons Masons to be wiped out. The Interloper War, Mm -hmm. the the re-invasion of the demons that the Hero of Men stopped... The additional invasion of the demons that Vati started when he opened the box in Minish Cap. Um, Vati's rampage again in Four There There's. I feel horrible saying this, but there are so many different opportunities for these more advanced Gorons
0: to die off. Well, here's the thing yes and. <laughs> um. Go on. There are several opportunities from the to die off, but not reality when you think about the fact that they probably wouldn't be on the front line of any of these battles because during these time frames, the Gorons were still kind of recluse. They didn't really become allies until the first war, the first large scale war, which didn't right. happen until after Minish Cap.
2: Which- I should have specified. I was not <laughs> suggesting that they took direct part in the war, but more so that they were unexpected casualties. Um, so, as horrible as this is to say, civilian casualties, if you will. The uh, caught in the crossfire.
0: Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is there really wasn't any need for the fire temple back in the day. So actually, I propose that the fire temple was built shortly after Minish because there was no need for it because there were no sages. The actual fire temple was built specifically for the sage of fire to be able to transport to and from the... um, (sighs) Uh, words are hard Uh, the light realm Um, I can't remember thank you (laughs) sacred realm there we go I couldn't remember yes so yeah the temples were built specifically for the sages to travel to and from the sacred realm freely that is their sole purpose
2: let me ask a clarifying question Mm -hmm. I thought in the encyclopedia it stated that Raru built... So Raru was a sage, and he built the Temple of Time after the Interloper War, but before the Menish Cap.
0: Yes. But the sages only awaken when needed. So Rauru was needed. Uh, the other sages awakened around this time as well. But they... So, okay, let's let's clarify our timeline here. Um, so, Rauru, sh- shortly after um, Skyward Sword, there was a need to hide the uh, Triforce. So, Rauru hid it in the Sacred Realm, and there constructed the um, Temple of Time around it, bringing us the Temple of Light. So, that being said... Then the other sages began to construct the other temples to transport themselves to that said temple. So that really puts the rest of our temple construction anywhere between Skyward Sword and Ocarina of Time. Now, it will be completed it will be completed well before the Ocarina of Time obviously. It's not like these things just got completed before Link walked in and took the sword. They've been done for quite some time because all the sages have been dead for a while, but that could put it in line with being constructed shortly after the end of Minish. So i that's why I say I, I believe it might be somewhere after Minish that this structure was finally completed. I think that they were working on it because it is a very large structure. I think they were working on it for quite some time compared to the temple of time and honestly compared to the rest of the temples Rory this temple simply
2: the first sage so he got an earlier start it's ex- essentially what you to
1: start, to put the least effort in
0: <laughs> he always does <laughs> oh. so yeah that's kind of what I propose is that the ancient robots assisted the Gorons and learning how to do this sort of stonework. And through the generations, they continue to pass it down until shortly after uh, the timeline split, which is where they start to lose it. They lose it most definitively in the downfall timeline. Um, they begin to lose it. And we see this. They start to focus more on metalwork and uh, Twilight Princess. And they're pretty much runaways in Wind Waker they're trying to find a home anywhere they can get one in Wind Waker so
2: they do settle down in uh, New Hyrule and Spirit Tracks but this is they're still very primitive in their construction obviously since they have been sailing for ages
0: exactly so that's why I suggest that if we're going with the and we're getting into a whole nother theory here but so we can wrap this thing up. Uh, (laughs) What I'm saying is, is if we are to believe that all the timelines converge to Breath of the Wild, it would explain why our Breath of the Wild Gorons are not as adept as there are Ocarina of Time Gorons in their stonemasonry. It is because if we are to believe that all the timelines do conjoin here, then that means that in every single timeline, the Gorons have failed to upkeep their knowledge of what has been passed to them
2: right and we do we do see that as you said in each timeline more so in the fallen but um like i said in twilight princess even their sacred areas in the mines are still rather haphazardly constructed in fact if i recall correctly a lot of it is even made of wood instead of stone Uh and then of course spirit tracks and the adult timeline we just discussed oh yeah (laughs) so yes i would like to reiterate then to your listeners please do either talk to us on twitter or or hop in the discord as you can see there are a lot of competing ideas about this and i uh, i know i at least would love to hear yours because i am sure there are more that we have not even thought about in this
0: oh yeah and i've and still got I'm, some deeper dives before i can you know converge on one theory
2: <laughs> yes i there are several that i think are likely right now the fire mm-hmm. temple is i don't know why but just within the last month or so it is utterly transfixed me so yes if there are any more theories out there or if you have thought of any pieces of evidence for any of the theories we presented please please do let us know i would love to hear it
0: so i will propose a question to you kex oh yes would you say that the fire temple lit a fire in you (laughs) see see this is why ariel doesn't let me do dad jokes
2: (laughs) Yes, I I do not think you would have been able to get away with that had she no. been here. No, she would
0: have. She would have
2: sit yes, dead. Very much so.
0: <laughs> so, on that note, I would like to leave our lovely listeners with some recommendations for some podcasts that they can listen to alongside ours. So, Kex, do you have any recommendations? I cannot
2: recommend Hello Hyrule enough. Um, It is one of my very favorite podcasts. They're not so different from this, except they are taking their their time through the games and looking at each location in each game specifically, and analyzing both the structure of the location and the events that happen in-game in it. It is perfect for those who like a very, very, very deep dive into these uh, minute details, but also those who like a bit of humor as well. They are a very funny um, duo. And as, as deep as they analyze the structures, it never gets boring because they always keep things lighthearted while at the same time still providing amazing theories. So please do. Um, please do listen to Hello Hyrule if you get a chance. You will not regret it.
0: And don't forget, the most important part is they will let you know what things taste like.
2: <laughs>
0: oh, yes, of course. That is the most important.
2: My mistake.
0: Uh, well, did I, do you have any side-by-side podcast recommendations for us?
1: Um, I'm sure it's come up, and if it hasn't yet, it would have been next week anyway. But first encounter podcast may not be just legend of zelda focused but it is fantastic i cannot agree and chris are so funny and even if you don't really get into it you should listen to both seasons they have out right now anyway even if you don't like both the games because they themselves are just great
0: Mm -hmm. they're an incredibly funny duo i love those two they're amazing uh, honestly, both the podcasts you recommended, uh, I love uh, personally. Um, <laughs> but uh, their first season is uh, Final Fantasy 7 and their second one is actually Majora's Mask. Yep. So
2: I'm I- listening to their Majora's Mask uh, <laughs> season now, and it has been extremely entertaining.
0: Oh my gosh, so much so. But yeah, so there are your uh, side-by-side podcast recommendations, uh, dear listeners. If you haven't, please go check those wonderful two podcasts out. Uh, Phenomenal people doing both those podcasts. And uh, honestly, all four of them are incredibly kind and lovely people. So go show them some love from us. And until next time, thank you for listening and tune in next week. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you all for listening to the Legend of Zelda Lorecast tonight. We hope you enjoyed yourselves. If you did, tell a friend, leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. You can chat with us all things Legend of Zelda on the Robots Radio Discord, or you can get hold of us on our Twitter at LOZLorecast. Intro and outro were done by Bentonal Landscape. Links are in the show notes below. Till next time, dear listener, it's dangerous to go alone. Take this.